Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks, share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks... It's a good one. We've got the CEO of Chico Bag and uh, Chico Bag Company to go where. Please welcome Mr. Andy Keller. Andy, thanks for being with us today. Gavin, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So you got a new company now. You got two companies, one mission. Yes. We got to go where we got Chico Bag. Help us first kind of understand a little bit about the difference between the two, and then we can dive into each of those origin stores. Sure. Um, well, Chico Bag is design is our basically reusable bags that are designed to help replace a single-use habit. So if you're using single-use paper bags or single-use plastic bags, uh, all the Chico bag products are designed to fit your pocket or be super easy and convenient, just like you know plastic and paper are. Um, they're easy to carry around with you so that you can um, bring them into the store. Because the biggest issue people have is remembering their bag. And so we try to make it really easy for people to remember. Such a great point. You know, I mean, how many of us have been to the store? We've got the recycled bags in our trunk of our car and we get to the checkout line and we go, oh, I wish I would have brought it this time. So this this company, this concept, uh, Andy, it's been around for a while now. Talk us through a little bit about some of the pain points early on where you said, hey, you know what? I can create a business model around this. Well, uh, I mean, as far as the origin story uh, for Chico Bag, I, you know, was telecommuting, selling software, had a great job in Chico, which is a small college town, and ended up getting laid off. 
and I just bought a house. I had a mortgage and it was probably the scariest time in my life at that point. Um, and I, I didn't know what to do. And I had just bought this house. So I decided to, you know, clean it up. It was a previous rental. It was pretty trash. So I ended up at the landfill with a bunch of trash and I, I dumped it there like everyone else. And I looked at this giant pile of trash that my community had thrown away that day. And there, visually, there were plastic bags everywhere. There were plastic bags in plastic bags and they were, it was windy and they were catching in the wind currents and blowing up in the air. And then into the adjacent ranch land um, where cows were grazing. And the, the bags, you know, it, were blowing out of the landfill. And, and I realized to myself, like at that point that I've been effectively lied to, you know, I said, well, you know, if you just do the right thing and you don't, you know, give a hoot, don't pollute, you know, don't be a litter bug, do all these things, you know, put it in the right spot and that you're doing the right thing. And then I'm realizing that all these people that did the right thing, their, their bags are still getting out into the wild and creating pollution. And so that, that really stuck with me, like in my gut, I was like, oh, cause I was a plastic bag user at that point. I never really thought about uh, how many bags I used or what they were made out of or, you know, where they went when, when I was done with them. And so, you know, it just started churning in my head. And as I was driving home, I started seeing plastic bags on the side of the road and, you know, in trees. And I, it, it, I started seeing them everywhere and, um, and kind of the unemployed side of my brain started kicking in. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You know, why don't, why don't I use reasonable bags? You know, why don't, you know, why do, why, why is this the way it is? And um, I, I pretty quickly came to the conclusion that, at, you know, I, I would never remember to bring a bag. I need to have one with me at all times. And then, I, and then kind of all these experiences from my life started kicking in. I'm like, oh, you know, I worked at a fabric store in high school. You know, oh, my mom, you know, taught me to, you know, let me play on her sewing machine when I was little. You know, I made Santa hats for all my stuffed animals. So I, I knew how to run the sewing machine. So I, I, that day I bought some fabric. And I sat down with the sewing machine that I bought from the thrift store and tried to figure out a way to make a bag fit in my pocket. Well, you know, a lot of people have ideas, Andy, but it seems like you took action that day. And I'm I'm curious to kind of like understand like how you were able to sustain that and keep up with it, because this is at a time in your life when you've got to pay a mortgage, you know, yeah. you're surviving on means probably from your last job going into entrepreneurship probably not knowing what it's all about that might have been an advantage to you but like how do how are you able to sustain this and what were some of the next steps that you took well um as soon as i i made a number of prototypes and i showed them with friends showed them to friends let them use them got feedback and i kept iterating on the design and at the same time i was like okay i gotta pay the mortgage <laughs> You know, I'm out hustling, you know, doing odd jobs. You know, I removed asbestos from my basement and did, you know, all these things that, um, you know, that I had to do, to, you know, to make a, to make a living. Um, and I, I didn't put all my eggs in the Chico bag basket. I, I ended up getting my uh, real estate appraising license and started appraising real estate um, at the same time that I was building up Chico bag, you know, so I had kind of my plan B and when Chico bag started doing well to the point where it was taking a lot of time and I actually was making enough money where I could stop doing the appraising. You know, I took that opportunity and did it, which, you know, took some bravery. I was like, okay, you know, 
um, let's do it, you know, and I went in that direction and you know, I haven't looked back. And, and looking back at some of the like key growth stages of Chico Bag, like how would you describe this journey? Mm, you know, there it's uh, kind of just one step in front of the other. Is the one, you know, it's like I don't know the path. All I have is a effectively a flashlight. I could see if five feet in front of me, and uh, you know, I could see the next five moves maybe if I'm lucky, and um, and I just keep walking forward and keep learning. Um, and I've had some, you know, some big learning experiences on the way, and you know, some bumps and bruises and. And in in that process, you know, I've become a better business person. I've, you know, iterated the product and made things, you know, better. And um, and that's my intention is just to keep keep moving forward, keep doing it better. Um, what else can I say? I, I could go a lot further, but I'll let you ask another question. Yeah, I'd love to expand on some of those key things that you said were difficult, but made you a better business leader? Like what are some of those things in the early stages that really stick out to you that might be helpful for someone listening to this who, you know, might be thinking about quitting right now, or, you know, might, you know, experience a problem and, and mm-hmm. you know, say, Hey, you know, I don't know if I can do the same more. It's a little bit too dark in here. The flashlight battery's going out, you know, help, <laughs> yes. help, help me understand what, what maybe, where some of you, uh, to you, some of those key things that stand out? Well, um, you know, I, I was young. I didn't, you know, I wasn't married at the time. I didn't have any kids. So it was a little bit easier for me to kind of risk more, uh, be a little bit more risky in my um, in my decision-making, uh, which was helpful. Um, so I was lucky in, in that regard. And I remember, um, you know, after I iterated and found a final design, uh, my next step was to find uh, a manufacturing partner to help me manufacture these. I, I, I had no illusions I was going to make these or set up my own factory. Um, so I, you know, I shopped around for different factories that do contract work. I landed on one, um, and I put in my first production order of uh, for three thousand uh, of these Chico bag. Um, what we call the Chico Bag Original now, and it, um, you know, it took a while. It took, I think, three months, you know, for the production cycle and to get all the materials and to, and I finally got my shipment of my first production run. I opened up the box of these three thousand bags, and each one was individually wrapped in a single-use plastic bag. I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> I I didn't even think that that was a possibility. I and um, each one was in a plastic bag. And, and that's the status quo of manufacturing. Most everything that you buy at a store was some point wrapped in a plastic bag, every shirt and pants. And, you know, that's the status quo. That's, of course, changing. A lot of people are trying to change that reality um, that exists currently. Um, and and I, I quickly changed that. <laughs> well, I went to ended up going to 10 packs in a plastic bag and finally just did without the plastic bags and put them into um, cardboard boxes, which is a lot more environmentally friendly from a recycling and resource standpoint. Um, and then I started selling. So I got these the day before Earth Day in 2005. I ended up setting up at the farmer's market and there was an Earth Day celebration. I set up two booths in the same day and I was selling these. Um, and after I sold, I don't know, maybe 50, like someone came back. They're like, oh, you know, mine ripped. 
<laughs> and I'm like, oh no. And I looked and yeah, yep, it ripped on the pouch. And 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 then I realized that I had a 40% defect rate mm. on, on my first production run. So that that was a huge learning experience mm -hmm. for me, is that you, you know, it's it's kind of easy to manufacture things these days, but it's really it takes a lot of uh, focus and energy to, to manufacture things correctly, you know, to high quality standards and ethically, you know, using, you know, fair labor practices and environmental, you know, stewardship practices. Um, and so that was my first step in that learning experience is, you know, first of all, quality. And then, then you get into, you know, human rights and labor issues and environmental concerns. And then, you know, and that's can go the whole way up the supply chain. When you think about how complex the supply chain can be, when you think about all the different parts and pieces that go into a product, each of those typically has, you know, multiple components and all that within all that supply chain, there could be environmental or human rights issues that you have to watch for and, and, and certify against. Um, so that was my first step in that. And, you know, and in, in the years since then, you know, we've become a leader in, environmental stewardship and, and fair labor practices, which, you know, we're very proud of. Um, and it's, it's amazing that more companies don't go down that route, you know, and a lot of companies don't have never visited their suppliers. You know, maybe they've visited their tier one suppliers, which is the ones they have personal relationships with, but the tier two suppliers are the, their, the, their suppliers, suppliers, you know, and their suppliers, 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 right. You could go up probably seven levels um if you dare um and and meet all these people and form relationships and make sure everything is happening um the way it should be and, and in your experience annie like what have been some takeaways or some helpful learnings from doing that from putting in the work to go above just tier one like share with us some of your experiences and what are some key findings from those those explorations hmm. I think the, the the probably the first big thing I realize is there's a game board, you know, if you think about an analogy and the, the rules of the game are kind of created by, you know, previous generations and, you know, and business practice and um and policy and laws and and I'm trying to play a different game on the game board that, you know, doesn't really work with the game I'm trying to play. Um, like an example of this is uh, recycled content, right? So I want to make my product out of recycled content, 100% post-consumer recycled content, um, which in the case of my product is PET bottles. So if you think about Coke bottles or plastic bottles, um, that recycled content is 40% more expensive than virgin material. And virgin means, you know, you're taking oil and you're processing it into um, the different components that make uh, polyester. Um, that is cheaper doing that, taking it out of the ground and processing it through all these different steps and, you know, getting virgin polyester is cheaper than taking a bottle, grinding it up and, and melting it back into uh, yarn that you weave the fabric into or you use to weave the fabric, uh, which just shows you that there are policies and tax breaks and all kinds of things set up to support the status quo of, of uh, oil extraction, the extractive economy. You know, it should not be cheaper 
to to take it out of the ground and do that. It should be cheaper to grind up an existing bottle that's already been taken out of the ground. And um, you know, and changing that's hard, right? It takes a lot of effort, a lot of energy to try and change the status quo. And you know, and if I was to kind of describe what I'm doing, is like I have on a long-term plan of changing the status quo to create a playing field um, that favors, you know, doing good and using business as a force for good. And right now it's hard to play the game because every, every time you take a step, you know, well, a 40% more expensive material means the product's more expensive. So then you're trying to sell a product and competing with version material with a more expensive product. And some people are willing to pay that, you know, thank God. But uh, there's a lot of people that are shopping based on price. And, you know, and that's another status quo issue is people buy the cheapest product a lot of times, you know, and, you know, a lot of people are looking at quality, but, you know, there's so many layers below, above that, you know, as far as, you know, social equity and, um, you know, fair labor and environmental practices, you know, all those things have cost to them, you know, and right now, you know, that's, there's a lot of incentive to take all that and externalize that, right? So, you know, manufacturing, they're always trying to get the lowest price and, and externalize the costs, you know, to, you know, marginalized groups, to the environment, to future generations, you know, and that's not in the price tag of the products that you're buying. It's it's being externalized. It, it's um, for the outsider, Andy, it's, it's uh, you're right they are playing chess while we're trying to play checkers, right? It is a completely different game yeah. that they're used to. Um, what I'm curious about is for those individuals like listening to this um, and like, you know, I, I understand the environmental aspect, but as he's saying, he's saying they, they, there are excessive costs with this. How does this gentleman go about his business decision-making when confronted with an opportunity to produce an item for a, a cheaper cost. Uh, how how has your decision making evolved over time to make sure that you're positioning your company and staying within your means so that you're not going across any values that you've already established? It's a challenging balancing act, you know, between profit and purpose. You know, you have to have a viable company and and be selling products and making a profit in order to invest in the future. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, and, and I'm also trying to push, you know, the the gold standard of environmentalism um, embodied into a product. Um, and what what I've come up until now, what we've done is we've offered people a choice. So you can have the what we call repeat, which is our line of products that have the highest level of recycled content and certifications. And then we have our uh, standard product, which is polyester. It's not recycled content, which has a lower price point. You know, so some for some of our customers, getting them from single-use plastic to a reusable bag is a win. And and if we do that with a version polyester product, that's great because it's better. It only needs to be used maybe 10 times to have a better environmental footprint than plastic or single-use plastic or paper. And then, you know, once and if people want to opt for the recycled content, you know, that has a, a significant reduction in carbon emissions compared to version, you know, so it's, you, you can also do that. You can 
You know, so giving a choice is what we've done. And we do have a 2030 goal of transitioning all of our products uh, to recycled content uh, by 2030. So we're on the path to get there. And we're hoping that some of the, I guess, the rules of the game change uh, with some different policies that perhaps incentivize recycled content the same way that version um, petroleum products are incentivized currently. You know, shifting some of those tax breaks and incentives, you know, to recycle content is something that government can do through policy change. And there's a lot of examples of, you know, policy changes that actually move the market that in a positive direction. Uh, we just need to, I guess, have the right people in Washington to make that happen. There's certainly some macro, you know, wins that are affecting a lot of the uh business economics, whether it's an incentive. I saw you at a uh, press conference with the old uh, governor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Um, and that, and that was just a really interesting time. But what you were saying in that's very, you know, rings true today, the environmental policies do create jobs. And that's the next thing I want to talk about is just the employee culture that you've built at Chico Bag. What are some of the competitive advantages that you think you have as a environmentally friendly company in terms of attracting employees and retaining them? Well, I mean, first of all, having a being a mission driven company, our, our our mission is to help humanity bag the single use habit. And we're talking about, you know, all the single use items out there. Like, you know, I, I didn't talk about our to go wear brand, but its purpose is to help you have a waste free lunch. So it has um, reusable bamboo utensils and and stainless steel uh, food containers, so you can, you know, go and have a lunch without all the plastic and and waste. Um, and so all these items are designed to do that. And because we have a mission and because we're actually over 17 years, you know, we're achieving the mission. It, it's pretty exciting to be part of an organization like that. And our employees, you know, come and work for us because they, it helps them also fulfill their personal purpose. So there's some alignment there between what they want to see in the world and then what the company is trying to see in the world. And that's the perfect alignment when you have an employee that is fulfilling their own personal mission by working the mission of the company. Um, and that's what we look for. And, and those types of employees, you know, are, are loyal, uh, they're fun to work with. Um, they um, also come up with great ideas because they're passionate about, you know, what, they're, what we're doing. And, and it is a competitive advantage because there are companies that don't have that. And, you know, they have a higher turnover rate. Uh, they have to pay their employees more to stay um, because their employees aren't as happy and uh, don't feel as fulfilled. Um, and I think, you know, what you read about is younger people are really wanting that, you know, so companies that haven't changed to, to have some sort of social benefit or to, um, you know, to consider other stakeholders other than their shareholders. Um, you know, traditional business, you know, their whole purpose is to create a profit. And they feel like that's, if they're doing that, they're, they're achieving, you know, the social mission of the company, which, which doesn't really take into account, you know, all the different stakeholders like employees or, you know, the community that they're in, or, you know, you know, beyond that, there's, um, you know, there's, there's opportunity for the companies to, to shift. Uh, right now, especially to retain employees, especially in this job market, as as you know, it's really tight. And how has this job market impacted your business thus far? And what do you anticipate in 2023? 
I mean, we've been fortunate that we we have loyal employees and, you know, and people have stayed with us for years and years and years. Um, you know, so we have fairly low turnover. So for us, it hasn't really been an issue. Um, we've worked with the, I've worked with the same people for a long time here. Um, so, you know, knock on wood, hopefully everything's good in 2023. You know, you mentioned a lot about uh, it's important for those employees to kind of see their mission within the overall mission of the company, you know, their yeah. personal mission within the overall mission of the company. Um, in your experience, Andy, have, have you had an employee who maybe have gotten lost on that mission or say they, hey, you know, I'm I'm feeling disempowered now, you know, and I, I want to, uh, I still want to work for the company, but I just don't know where I'm going to fit. Like, how do you deal with those situations? Uh, when an employee is, you know, wanting to stay, but also, you know, kind of feeling lost in the company. Lost in, as in they're not seeing the company achieve the mission or they're not feeling alignment between themselves and. and alignment, alignment yeah. with themselves in the mission. Yeah. You know, we, we, we have had employees that, you know, there isn't that alignment. They don't really care so much about our mission um, as much as we do, <laughs> you know, as much as I do. Um you know, and that it's, it's fairly obvious and sometimes it's, it's okay. It's tolerable. Um, you know, but a lot of times those people end up moving on after time You know, they find something that's a better fit for them. I guess to the, to the next question, then what makes a good hire? Like, what are you looking for in an employees in your experience? Like what has been an effective process to hire the right employee? I mean, the thing that comes to mind is you know, humble, hungry, and smart. You know, so we're looking for people who you know have a a level of emotional intelligence, who are good communicators. That's the smart part. Humble is you know they they're able to learn. They know they don't know everything. They want to learn. Uh, they're curious. Uh, hungry is you know they they want to go get after it and they want to achieve things. And uh, so, with those characteristics, you know, we found that you know, we're able to teach people you know the job. But if they don't have the core characteristics uh, that we're looking for, it's it's really hard to teach someone who doesn't want to learn or teach someone who thinks they know everything, you know, um, you know, so that's that's the way we filter generally is is looking at those three characteristics. You tend to find yourself hiring folks who have plenty of experience or are you more likely to hire someone who you can develop? I'd say for the vast majority of employees, we've we've hired them um, with some experience, and they've gotten most of their experience working here. Okay, just know so we've we brought them along. And, and help me understand this like this next evolution. Now, I reached out to you, Andy, because I actually do have some to go wear. Uh, my oh, you do. wonderful mother purchased me some for my camping uh, when we go out camping, so I do have some to go wear. And I thought, oh, there's Chico back. Oh, uh, I know they're a B Corp. You know, so just reach out to them. Let's see. You know, if there's any interest here. So tell me about a little bit more about this next evolution of to go where um mm -hmm. and and how this business is going, be it that it's kind of your second second one. Yeah. Yeah. In the reusable products industry, we you know, we all the you know, the the creators and the owners, you know, we 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 tend to collaborate and talk, you know, how how's business and you know, see each other at different trade shows. So to go where was started by Stephanie Bernstein and she um you know, became a friend and uh, had the to go wear brand and created it. She she wanted to create the Chico bag of utensils, which is um, 
it was her inspiration. So it was a perfect fit when we started talking and she was looking for an exit. I, I said, well, it, you know, well, we could take over your brand and run it for you and, and give it a good home. And, and she agreed. And so we brought on uh, the to go wear brand about five years ago, maybe six at this point. And wow. um, yeah, it's a great product because you know, if you ever been to takeout, and you've gotten something, you get the, you know, the fork, the knives, the spoon, you know, wrapped in a plastic with a napkin, with a salt and pepper and you know, in a plastic bag, the amount of plastic, you know, with takeout, I'm going to call it culture, takeout culture is obscene. You know, luckily here in California, they actually passed a law, which is creating, you know, changing the playing field where restaurants have to ask if you want these utensils uh, or napkins and things like that. So they don't assume automatically you know, the, the status quo before was, oh, you want all this stuff. I'm going to put it in your bag. Now the default is, well, if you want it, you ask for it. You know, so when you go to like Grubhub or these places, you know, it's a menu item. Basically, you can add, oh, you want utensils and great. You know, and you think about Grubhub, most of those are being delivered to someone's home where you have a whole drawer of, you know, metal <laughs> reusable utensils. Why, why do you want that? You don't, you know, it just goes in the trash. Right. And, and it's interesting to, to think, you know, how consumer habits need to change in order for this to take an effect. I mean, what are some of the things you're doing in terms of communications to get that word out? Because I, I mean, help me, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming you're going directly to the consumers versus to those, you know, mom and pop, you know, takeout places mm -hmm. uh, because they are reusable silverware. I mean, help me understand kind of uh, your approach in terms of communication. I mean, a lot of our communication is to, you know, customers that buy from us directly or who have engaged with us on social media. Okay. And, cer and certainly that's part of the solution is, is talking with people directly. Um, and, you know, we have our retailers that are reselling our product and we're communicating with them about how to merchandise and sell these products, uh, where to position them so that, you know, they're at the place where people need them in the stores. Mm -hmm. And then a big part of our business is um, offering promotional products so we put someone's brand or their name of their business on the product and they can give it out to their best customers or to their employees and um talking with them about you know how to like if it's an hr manager is talking to the hr person about like okay you're going to give a new employee onboarding kit you're trying to create a culture within your company you're going to give them these utensil sets and a reusable bag what else can you do within the company mm. to make sure that these products don't just end up in a drawer you know, or, you know, and not used? How do you incentivize the culture of the company to really engage with these types of products at lunch or, you know, when they're out shopping and doing whatever they're doing? Um, and so the communication, I think, happens at many different levels. And I think traditionally, a lot of effort and energy has been put on the consumer. You know, I mentioned like, give a hoot, don't pollute, you know, don't litter, don't be a litter bug, you know, all these things. A lot of times, big companies push their responsibilities onto consumers. You know, oh, like plastic bags, you know, these plastic bags would not be an issue if people did, would just recycle and if people, you know, wouldn't litter. You know, well, that's putting the, all the responsibility on a consumer. It's consumer's fault that, you know, these things are a problem. When in fact, it's the producer of these bags that knowingly made a, pro a product that easily blows in the wind and is has a useful life of minutes 
and has no type of take back program or, you know, a lot of companies are now putting take back programs in, but there are a lot of examples of companies that have no take back program. They're relying on the municipal recycling infrastructure to, to somehow deal with this product they've made and there's no effective way to recycle it. It's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, the, the future is all about extended producer responsibility. That's where the producer takes responsibility for their product and thinks about the end of life in the design process up front it it's uh it's an interesting economy we've created this make the waste model and you know i, I think the single the ending single use plastic industry like the uh, reusable i guess product interest industry is very interesting knowing that i think only eight percent of like recyclable products even go to the recycling industry um, so even like, like, it's curious, like all you really need is just that one product where people that's, it could be virgin or it could be recyclable as long as it's good quality that people just use over and over again. Um, and don't have to continue to, to use these products that are very detrimental to the environment. I'm sure we could go on and on and on about the, the macro tailwinds of, of what needs to change and the policy that, that could be put into place, uh, Andy, but I'm, I'm interested to know a little bit more about your role as a CEO and like just the leadership, uh, mindset that you've been able to adapt over time at Chico bag, like help me understand, like how you see yourself as the leader of the organization, uh, and, and like with where you are right now. I mean, my my role, I, I believe, is just to continually remind people and to, and to point out the success you know that we're having. Because when you're on a long road that with the kind of mission that we have, it's it, you know, especially in the pandemic when you know they effectively banned reusable bags in stores, you couldn't even bring them in because they were afraid that they're they're going to be tainted with COVID. Um, you know, which is there's there's a whole story about why that is the case. It's interesting. Um, but uh, I will get into that in a second. But to answer your question, it's, it's, I'm kind of the reminder in chief where I just really need to help people see and shine that light and say, look, you know, we are achieving this. Here's some wins, recent wins that we've done, and we're heading towards it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, 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 it's bigger than a marathon. Um, but when you look back across, you know, the years, you know, we've achieved quite a bit. Um, you know, behind me is what... What, what I call the bag monster. It represents what the average American uses in plastic bags in one year. And that's about 500 plastic bags. Um, I have two of them behind me. So that's, uh, you can imagine a, a family of two, you know, one year. And that's, and that's just the average American. And of course, plastic bag usage is, is all over the world. And so these, you know, in the United States, um, if you tied these bags together in a chain just one year, they go around the world 760 times. Like if you tie it, and that's, that's just the United States, just one year, you know, so plastic is, you know, it never goes away. It ends up in our oceans, uh, ends up essentially as pollution and, um, you know, and, and just telling the story and constantly reminding my employees that this is what we're trying to achieve here. We're trying to eliminate this bag monster. Um, is is my primary role. It's an interesting for a CEO to say that too. Like I feel like a lot of folks really, I guess, might not guess that 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 your number one role is to remind folks of the successes and the impact that you guys are making. You know, in the world. I mean, I'm curious to like know from you, Andy. Like, where do you where do you get stuck? 
where do you often find yourself like, hey, this is where I need to improve? Um, well, sometimes, you know, I, I feel beaten down and I have to keep, make sure I, I stay focused on, on the recent wins and goals. Sure. So I, I do it for myself just as much as anyone else. Um, the places I get stuck is, um, oh, I guess just when, when things are tough, you know, I start spinning, you know, out of control a little bit in my head, like, oh God, I, you know, I, there's this issue I got to resolve and I'm not sure how to resolve it. And, you know, I'm going to like get into everyone's stuff, you know, okay, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, you know, and, and try to, it's, um, I guess my, I guess the challenge for me is just to just, just, just remain a calm <laughs> leader um and to um rely on my team and ask good questions hmm. and sometimes i want to hop in and fix things you know i'm a fixer and doer and i want to get under the hood and sometimes i don't need to do that hmm. when it comes to delegation mm -hmm. um in, in your business um do you like when do you find yourself deciding between like delegation and abdication when you're either just going to let someone entirely take this on mm -hmm. or you say, you know, I'm going to oversee this and kind of delegate that like help us kind of understand how you go about that process when you, when you know, we need to choose one or the other. Well, yeah, that's the balance, right? Is, 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 you know, that's personally something I'm working on. Right. So mm -hmm. I'm still learning the balance. And sometimes I say, okay, that's your responsibility. And then I don't check in on it. And then, you know, enough. And then, then I realize, oh, it's off course. And then I have to, that's when I usually freak out. Right. So mm -hmm. the, the learning that I'm having, I guess, more recently um, is to have those check-ins, you know, to create the framework that will allow the information and reporting up, you know, to happen um, in a way where I can you know, have a dashboard, right? You know, a metaphorical dashboard of, you know, what's going on in the company and know that things are okay. Hmm. So creating the framework has helped you, I guess, has calmed the mind or calmed the questioning hmm. or it kind of gives you that structure um, that you can work within or at least your employees can work within. Um, I guess that's what I'm hearing. I, I'm curious to know as well, like um, in terms of like, your passion for this business because it's yours mm -hmm. um what helps you i guess make sure that your passion isn't getting in the way of the growth of, of this successful business have you ever caught yourself in times like that getting in the way of growth um I mean, what comes to mind when, when, with that question is, is just prioritization, you know, what comes first, second, third, you know, what, what, what do we focus on? What's the rally, you know, that's most important right now. Um, because I, you know, I'm, you know, we're all ambitious, <laughs> you know, um, a lot of people have, have the issue of, well, you got too many ideas and not enough time, you know, so what are you really going to focus on? Um, we found um, a framework from Patrick Lencioni that, He's an author that hmm. talks about the idea of a rally cry. So it's kind of like the same idea as a sprint, you know, where you have something that is most important. This is most important right now. And we're going to put all of our, 
not all of our energy, but we're going to put a, a big chunk of our energy into getting this done as quickly as possible. And then once it's done, then we're moving on to the next rally cry, you know, versus, you know, having a bunch of different projects that take forever to get done, you know? So we've found that to be a very effective way to get things done quickly. Um, and it kind of brings me back to the entrepreneurial roots of the company where it's just like, sure. we just get stuff done, right. you know, and um, it doesn't necessarily have to be perfect, you know, um, we certainly want a high level of quality, um, but things, getting things across the finish line is, uh, you know, is something to celebrate for sure. That's really interesting. I'd, I'd be curious to know kind of like what, what your end finish line looks like too. I mean, you kind of said you have that at the very beginning, you're, you're in this cave, you got this flashlight, you can't really see the end, but you know, if you had to, if you got to that point today and you said, Hey, you know, what, what makes a successful exit? Like, what would that legacy look like to you? What would make a successful exit for you? Well, I think achieving the mission, um, you know, for the company's standpoint, um, helping humanity bag the single-use habit is, you know, the idea is that the status quo isn't single-use anymore. The status quo is reusable and that, you know, single-use is the equivalent of smoking a cigarette. You know, where that used to be the status quo, you know, they had ashtrays and cars and in airplanes and, you know, restaurants and, you know, that isn't the case anymore. And I, I, I believe at some point uh, with, you know, a lot of effort um, and buy-in from, you know, people like you and me and everyone that's listening is that single use will, will be that equivalent where, you know, some people will still use it, of course, you know, but the majority of people are bringing their own cups you know, and there's systems in place to help support this, you know, they're not just white knuckling it through society, trying to be a better person that everything is set up to for reuse. Absolutely. And, and I, we certainly see it kind of going that way here in, in California. Uh, certainly I've noticed a, a big uptick in a lot of uh, my friends and family members using, uh, you know, reusable items, um, items that, you know, uh, our place at a dinner table now or on a to-go kit or camping, you know, you're right, that are that are usable and, and just those conscious efforts being sold in those areas where, you know, we're we're trying to find camping equipment or we're trying to find, you know, um, products that, you know, will we'll, uh, that I guess would be a complimentary. Um, so it's it's interesting. And I think, uh, you know, the, the world is kind of shifting that way and that's the direction that we kind of see it. And, and you know, it's great to have a, someone like you who, you know, is a very forward looking and forward thinking that saw this early on and, and did something about it, took action on it. Now in all of this, Andy, let's bring this home. When it comes to leadership, what is your definition of a real hmm. leader? I think it's someone who, who has a vision, who can see something that maybe not a lot of other people can see. Um, is able to effectively communicate that vision and share it with people where people like it and are excited about it um, and have the grit and the, I guess, the fortitude to, to keep walking forward through that and the ups and downs and barriers and not knowing exactly how it's going to end um, and, and in the quest to achieve it. And if people are following, then... Um, that's the definition of a leader. Well, Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure having you on. Learned a lot about your journey. Um, thanks for being vulnerable with our audience today. I think that's what 
most of the folks can really relate to today. Uh, so thanks for being yourself. Uh, for Andy Keller, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, have some grit, folks, and always keep it real. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, Real Leaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to realleaders.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.